Hello, and welcome to 10 Very Big Books, a Malazan read-through podcast. My name is Peter Bond. I've read every book in the main series. However, my two co-hosts have not. With me today is my friend and closest confidant, India Jones. Hello there. And for a brief week, the uh, oldest member of our show, as his birthday has just passed, it's Joshua Baker. What's up? I am your king. <laughs> Although I guess technically you're always the oldest, but you know, my point stands. I never realized that. I'm like never the oldest in any of my group of friends. Usually I'm like 15 years younger than everyone. Well, AJ's like way older than you. So it's like, you know, you've what, technically is he, What's he like a November baby? He's a November baby. Fucking crushed it. And India's birthday is coming up too. It's the birthday month here on the show. For the record, May is our birthday month, so if you need to, like, you know, post-date some things, you just mm. put May. So, not to, you know, uh, oh, I should say what, I should introduce the show. <laughs> yeah, you should definitely introduce what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> okay. Our read-through of Memories of Ice is over, so this week on the show, we're going to talk about our thoughts about the book overall, where we are at the series, and answer listeners' questions. Um, before we start House of Chains, we also have some special episodes coming out after this, and that schedule's on Twitter. Now, before we get to the questions, I just want to say something to you two. Are you going to cry? Say it. No. I know, like, maybe I'm not the person to be saying this, but, like, did you ever think that, like, 10 is a lot of books, you know? Hey, why don't you fucking eat my asshole, dude? Yeah, it's a lot of books. <laughs> I guess, like, to be honest, I didn't think we would read Gardens of the Moon. And now, like, we're this far deep, you know? And, like, it seems really far, but three is nowhere near ten. You know, we're not even halfway through this thing. Yeah, and the bad news is we can't stop because Steve just keeps, like, mailing me, like, increasingly desperate. You know, he's just like, Josh, you gotta read, you gotta do it, you know? Yeah, Steve's desperate for our publicity. Without it, I think his uh, his whole life would fall apart. I know, I know. It's just like sometimes I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, a lot of books left, you know? Sounds <laughs> just, it sounds like a lot of friendship to me, right? That's true. Oh, shucks. Oh, shucks indeed. So uh, to start us off, Swift sent in this question, and, and I just want to tweak it a little bit and ask you this. All directed to Josh first. I'm sure it's come up in your day-to-day that you are you have a podcast and blah, 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 you know? So when people ask you, like, what is the show about and, like, what is Malazan? Do you know what I mean? Like, what are these books? What Like, what do you say to people? Uh, usually I say something on the lines of, uh, when me and my friends are reading these, like, really dense fantasy books, and um, there's usually not a follow-up to that from them. Uh, but occasionally, <laughs> occasionally, Conversation ends there. occasionally they're like, oh, how is it? And I go, you wouldn't like it. Um, there are, there are like six people in my life who I have like earnestly been like, you should check it out. One of them listens, shouts out to Corey. Thank you, Corey. She's not read a single one of the books. She is just here for the ride with us. Interesting. Yeah. India, you travel back in time. You, you've never read Gardens of the Moon. What do you, how do you explain these books? What do you pitch them as um, to yourself? To myself, you know, I would say I'd start with, hey, and good to see you. You look great. <laughs> Be kind to yourself, everybody. Be kind. <laughs> well, it's a little self-care, first self-care. <laughs> um, and then I'd say, hey, a couple of friends are going to want to read some books that are pretty painful. It's a good time. <laughs> 
to hang out with your friends. The books are not a good time, but eventually you'll learn to respect them. And isn't that enough? And that's probably, and would I want to read them then? No. Would I want to read them now? Memories of Ice was not bad. It was pretty good. So yeah. yeah. But I don't think that there's anything that I could have said to myself prior to this to get me to read a fantasy novel. I would laugh in my face. Yeah, I think it's tough. I I, I like the question from Swift. I, I've always, pitching the series is always a weird idea to me. You know, I feel like it's better if someone wants to come to it and they're interested in it, you know, but I don't know. You pitched it to me, really... Peter, and here I am. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of a different ball of yarn now, ain't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I do want to say I, I was wrong. I have successfully pitched the show um, twice. Once to Corey. The second time I pitched it to this guy and he was blackout drunk and he was the most interested a human being has ever been in a conversation about a podcast that you're doing. But there is zero chance that he remembered the next day what we do or what this is called. So shouts out. His name was also Josh, which is fun. So shout out to Josh if you're listening. Shout out to Josh. I really want to get to some of your more overall thoughts, but um, maybe we should hit through a few more of these questions. Ooh, before we move on, I do want to say, India, you when you first were pitched this, you didn't even get to say with your friends. It was with your friend Peter and this guy, Josh. Yeah, my Just friend like, Peter <laughs> and Peter's friend Josh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Hey, I think you guys had met passingly once, you know? We met one time in our apartment. Yeah. That counts. Josh was sitting on his bed, and I was like, hello, I'm India. And he was like, hi, I'm Josh. And that was the extent of it that I recall. And a friendship was born. Yes. Anyway, and do you want to read this next question? The next question is from One More Meme, I Need You. Interesting name. Did you feel there was a character who your opinions on had changed over the course of the book? Talk about a broad, broad question. Talk about every character in the book. Well, what do you mean by that, Inch? Well, I just feel like he purposely makes characters for you to change your opinion of them over time. Like he being Steve. Steve being Steven Erickson. It's like real life, you know? We're always changing. Mm. I feel like it's almost, I mean, the characters are definitely changing. I also feel like it's like your perspective as the reader is also changing. And a lot of the time that includes not only learning to like empathize with characters more, but like a lot of times you end up in their point of view and you kind of get to actually have that firsthand perspective more. Josh, what do you think about characters who who you kind of had a different opinion of from the start and end? Mm, We talking just this book or like overall? Let's let's stay on Memories of Ice for now. Mm, well, I mean, I'll say at the beginning of this book, we were introduced to Picker and Blend, and I truly thought they weren't important. I really mm. thought I would not care about them by, and, at all. Um, and I really didn't expect Picker to fucking be like the like our our key POV in the in the towards the end of the Malazan story in this one. But I think overall, I'm gonna say uh, it was Trots. Was Trots was the big one because I can't like we've met Trots like Trots was with us for all of Gardens of the Moon and I couldn't tell you what he was or what he looked like or if he had a personality and uh, he came he came into this one like like I don't know I really liked him by the end of this I mean it's hard not to like someone that like one on one battles a savant child cuts his fucking guts open and then leads his army of tribesmen into war, you know? How do you not like that? I didn't even know he was in Gardens of the Moon. Well, he's there, but he's definitely in the background. He's not a major character that... It's like the four major characters, and then you have Mallet, Hedge, Trots... 
and Fiddler, because you don't know Fiddler's important yet. No, Fiddler's unimportant. And it was it's very funny reading that book with you, and you guys, I don't know. I mean, didn't, like, I'm, didn't I Didn't give a shit about you know? him, and then you're like, oh, I see. Yeah. I think a character who, who my opinion about really changes throughout Memories of Ice, hmm, I'm really thinking, let me... Let me give a big is, and then I'll have an answer. Is... Oh, do you want a drum roll? <clears throat> is... I gave up. It was too much air. Silver Fox. Oh, great choice. I'll, ch- I'll steal India's answer. Great choice, Inge. Thanks. <laughs> Specifically, and not all, I think Silver Fox is a very interesting character, but I also think at the beginning of the book, I I had this impression that she just would be Tattersail and like she would be our cool mage hero and all this. That's junk, you so know? true. That's so true. And like, and it's 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 just so much more complicated and interesting than that. And especially then when it gets to actually the second gathering and how she feels about the Talana Mass and how she feels about people. Blah, blah, blah. It's just like I don't know. I thought it would be way less nuanced, and it just turned out to be much. She's a very, she's a much more compelling character than that. I I gotta tell you, actually, now you said that. I think Silver Fox is the first character who is not inherently evil that I have fully turned on in this series. Interesting. And like, yeah. Well, the second gathering, I full on was like, you know what? Actually, fuck you. I don't care about you anymore, Silver Fox. What do you mean inherently evil? Oh, no, it's okay. We're not gonna get evil. into fucking this. Yeah. Okay. All right. What the fuck ever, guys. All right. I don't. <laughs> you said I didn't. It. Don't look at me like I didn't. that. <laughs> look. Okay. Like I'm saying. You know, of the characters I don't like, it's the ones that seem to be primarily antagonistic. How about that, Pete? Is that okay, better? Okay. Sure. Yeah. Do you want to read the next question for us, Josh? All right. This question <laughs> comes in from Winter Moon. Uh, I almost read the date attached to it. That would have been not great. Okay, so from Winter Moon. Am I alone in that sometimes Erickson's complex storytelling and difficult vocabulary can limit one's ability to immerse themselves in the Malazan world? No. Next question. <laughs> but, like, what do, you, what do you think about it? I actually think that is... Well, we were talking earlier about trying to, to recommend this series to people, and I actually think this is one of the hardest things to try and sell people on. Like, even people who I know would like this story when they read it, it is a tough sell to be like, how's... Oh, how is it? Like, what's the writing like? And you're like, uh, incredibly verbose, and there are many, many words I have to use a dictionary for. And that's, mm. a, that's a hard sell to people. And even me reading it, because I have a pretty solid vocabulary... Like, sometimes I just have to be like, I don't fucking know what that means, and move on. And that's not the most immersive way to read. Yeah. I mean, Steve's got, Steve really wild outs with the vocabulary sometimes. Yeah. Which I'm fine with, you know, I appreciate it. It expanded my vocabulary, whatever. But I think what's more interesting is definitely, I think sometimes the storytelling is, is too complicated or there's... I don't know. There's too much information going on. What do you think, Inge? I just, I wish it was more of like a, like an incline of vocabulary instead of just like you're, you're at peak and you just start going because now Mm. like in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, that, that fucking sucked. But now I'm like, well, it's kind of cool that he made all this, this weird shit that doesn't exist. And uses also words that do exist that I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I feel like when you, every time we talk to him for like a good solid month afterward, I'm just like, everything he says makes sense. And so then I'm like, well, now I'm like, oh, Mm. obviously it had to be this way, guys. He did it on purpose, you know, so you could say that I'm brainwashed. 
Listen, yeah. uh, I, I'm a, I'm aware of my own biases in that regard too. But interesting, I guess you're talking more about there, like the jargon and the fantasy, the language itself, and not necessarily vocabulary of like using hori or whatever. Yeah. Yep. I understood at least three words in that sentence you just said. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Josh, I think to build on what you're saying, I think it's something, and it's kind of interesting, it's part of the dynamic of this show, I think, is that the series is also about fantasy and epic fantasy itself. I was I was about to talk about or I was about to somewhat leap into Same. that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and inherently, it's in, since it's kind of this postmodern work, right, it's like in dialogue with fiction and specifically this type of fiction. So yeah. I, I was going to say, because I was looking at the question again and I was like, I think about complex storytelling. And I was th- I, from from the perspective of someone that's read a lot of fantasy, I actually don't find the narrative structure so far of anything or the way he approaches confusing. But what's confusing is just keeping track of the amount of stuff going on but never for me the way that he's like presenting it but i do think that like if you are not inherently familiar with a lot of how like if you've never read a multi-pov work before then yes this shit's gonna like you know it's gonna present some challenges yeah indie in the deep end you know yeah gossip um, girl was written in multiple uh perspectives Josh, I agree that individual storylines are pretty clearly told, and I don't think that's what's confusing. There can be a sheer, like, width and abundance that I think can be confusing. Mm-hmm. But I think it's more comes to, like, the kind of expectationifying those subversive parts of it that are more complicated in a type of narrative form, you know, and a structural one as well. Uh-huh. This next question comes in from March Aos. Erickson is magnificent with his duos and friendships. Out of the three books you've read, who is your favorite pair of individuals, be it Tak and Tool, Ikarium and Mappo, or any of the others? Hmm. Okay, I'll go, I'll go, I'll give you some time. Easily my favorite duo, although they don't get to spend a lot of time on page together i love kalam and quick ben's friendship yeah, partnership. I, I i thought about that but i i haven't seen enough you know there's it's not like there's all these scenes it's not the main thrust of the storylines like map on akarim and talking to all this but i just think their partnership is great and i do like to ship them as a couple sometimes and that's just something i'm gonna stand in you know so i'm gonna go with them because i love how even though when they're in on their own storyline i feel like you can feel the presence of the other one and know that i don't know they just have that history together Mm. yeah fair similarly another pairing that we don't get to see all of the bro moments but we know they have happened i'm gonna go with anamander rake and kaladin Fuck, that's what i was gonna go with this is it's tough because it's tough because uh well, you know, a lot of the duos are are rent, you know, asunder by one of them dying or um, things like that. But so this is this is one that I'm, you know, they're both still alive, which is nice. Uh, I don't know. I like that they're two all powerful beings. You know, one controls an entire race of people who are all incredible spellcasters and just, you know, could destroy things and he's also a dragon and the other one holds a hammer that can literally destroy their world but you know that doesn't matter when they're hanging out they're just they're just boys being boys you know (laughs) dudes being dudes hanging out Uh, i feel like that matters a lot when they hang out (laughs) i like um you know i just had the best time with haboric and felison wouldn't call them a duo but interesting yeah (laughs) i just feel like you know 
How are they not? How are they any less a duo than anyone you just said? I know what you mean. I they yeah, don't. Honestly, they're not yeah. like having these big bromance like friendship things like some of the other characters. But they're definitely primary like scene partners and traveling companions. You know, like they're bouncing off each other pushes a lot of their character growth. It, that's what I'm, I mean. Like you, I'm, all I'm saying is I've only heard about Kalam and Quick Ben's rendezvous. I've only heard of them protecting each other. I mean, I've seen it with my own eyes here. Mm, true. Let me uh, qu- take this time and quick slip into a corrections section. So uh, in our last episode, we uh, talked about how at the in the epilogue, it was the crippled god who was coughing and like giving Perrin a trinket or he took a coin from Perrin, I think. But we were actually a lot of people wrote in and it was actually the beggar that the cripple god killed early on in the beginning of the book, the kind of merchant man who sold him the, the figurines. He has a name and I want to say it's something like Mungo, maybe. Um, oh, Mungo Jerry and Rumpelteaser, my two favorite characters from the Malazan universe. Yeah. Okay. The thing is, you're saying as a joke could be characters. And <laughs> I, I know, I know. It's so. cats, but also Erickson. And the only other things I want to shout out in this kind of non-questions thing, we, we, we received a lot of feedback, of course, and we, we can't get to all of it, but um, Charlie Ryan wrote us a great email. Didn't have any questions in it, really, but just wanted to <laughs> shout it out. But the thing is, at the end, he had some questions for Steve, and we received a lot of questions that were like, oh, when you talk to Steve, you should ask him this. And actually, we received most of them after we had already done our interview with Steve. So um, that was kind of just a missed shot. And and next time, we're talking about trying to bring in listener questions to Steve, our Steve uh, conversations. So I guess keep your eyes out for that. India, do you want to read our next question? Yeah. This one is from Captain Britain. What do you think about the theme of redemption in this book? Ikobian believes that all people deserve to be relieved of suffering, but this is contrasted by Anamander Rake's philosophy. He has no mercy for those who cause suffering, such as the women of the Dead Seed. What do you think, Inge? Oh gosh, you know, I'm not really here for the, the grander uh, themes of these books, but yeah, um, I guess the redemption thing, since Josh and Peter talked about it, makes it pretty hard to ignore, which honestly I really don't think I would have picked up on which is like kind of sad, but redemption. What do I think? Ikovian. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, I don't really care. It was like whatever to me. I hate that I don't have a more like robust answer that I'm sure Josh and Peter can give. It was like, I just was like, whatever about it. I also don't, don't really. Don't be down on yourself, Inge. I'm not down on myself. I'm just like realistically like this question for me is just like, hmm. I also would have killed the women of the Dead Seed. So I, I. I show no mercy also, and um, I wish that a lot of people in this book who were redeemed were not and were just killed instead. <laughs> well, okay. And that's my hot I know take. you said that. I, I know you said that about the seer, which I found particularly, I just can't believe that's you feel exactly that way, who I'm but talking that's about. Fine. That's exactly who I'm talking about. Uh, How dare you, seer? The, the, the seer deserved to die. There is no doubt in my mind. Thank you. I like that, dude. Just cook. I just cannot condone that at all. But Josh, what do you think of this question? Well, actually, I don't even know if I agree with the premise of Animander Rake not believing in redemption because of the the scene with Draconis where he flat out says that like Animander Rake isn't slaughtering people with the sword as much. And I really think that Animander Rake, it's we're getting hints that maybe he in some ways regrets having, you know, the the curse of this sword he's wielding. Um he and he and it's not that he's killing the woman of the dead seed with his sword because he wants 
them to suffer forever. It, it's, you know, he, he said it to Whiskey Jack that he's doing it as a mercy so that no one else has to bear the burden of killing these people, even though he does believe that, like, we can't let this go on. But also, they're kind of fucking broken and destroyed people anyway, so I kind of get where he's coming from in some ways. I mean, I disagree with your disagreement. I, I, Josh, I think there's a distinction between mercy and redemption. You know, I think he can not kill someone and also not believe they can be redeemed, you know? Hmm. And I, I think characterizing his uh, execution of the women of the Dead Seed as, as not believing in the redemption, I think is very fair. I, for one, absolutely believe they can be redeemed. I mean, much of the tennis gallery go on to form a new religious organization, you know? Like, mm-hmm. is, isn't that finding redemption through a new type of faith? So I, I feel like to kill them it is absolutely immoral. So that's my standpoint. Hmm, interesting. I, I definitely see where you're coming from. I mean, hmm. but I, listen, I get the other side, you know? I'm just standing where I'm at, you know? Maybe, but maybe Amanda Rake believes that, like... Because the question is about being deserved of relieved of suffering. Maybe Anamander just believes that death is the is the is the most efficient release of your suffering. And he gets to decide that for people. He flat out says that he does in this book. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that's like a pretty egotistical and crazy point of view that uh, oh, I have decided right. your could... I've decided your life suffering needs to come to an end. So I'm going to kill you. I don't know, man. Egotistical used to describe the long, white-haired man wielding the giant evil sword, and also he's a dragon in a moon base. There's no way that dude's egotistical. All right, all right. Josh, do you want to read our next question? Sure. This one's from at Denny Wilkinson. Favorite bridge burner, dead or alive? That's an easy one. Yeah, I agree. Easy answer for me. Trots already said number one bridge burner by far, by a mile. Done. I like Picker. I mean, I think I like Fiddler. Yeah. I mean, there's Fiddler's a bunch a... of solid choices. Oh my God. So. We were all like, this great. is so easy. And then we all said someone different. Ugh. I actually meant that it was an easy question to read. You know, poking fun at India having the longer one. No, I think Fiddler. I, I mean, I like Fiddler. I, I love that we learned why he got that name in this book. Very funny. Yeah. I think, though, that like some of the secondary bridge burners, like, for example, I love Spindle, you know, is Spindle oh, Spindle's very good. Is Spindle a complex or interesting character? No, of course not. But like I get to have more fun with those characters because they're like not demanding my psychological attention in a way. True. You know? Do you know do you know who my favorite bridge burner is, is the six mages that get introduced in a chapter and then summarily killed the next chapter in this book? You know, I just really think we don't talk enough about blue pearl shank and toes, the bridge <laughs> or right. mulch runter. I have no comment about that. But- Buckland, aimless. Those are all bridge burners. I like toes. More of a blue pearl. Aaron really called us out. We did a disservice to the bone zone, I think. You know? Yeah, we haven't done much bone zone this year. This mail comes in from Neil from Canada. Memories of Ice is definitely the book that Erickson really hits his stride in. The prose and imagery is stunning. I love how he uses the title to weave the idea of glaciers leaving huge changes in their wake, with the Jagged's ice magic and its relation to the trauma of the Talan Imass. And here is his two questions. First, was Gruntle the Tiger King we deserve? And are we Canadian? And I'm sorry, we are not Canadian. And I'll leave the Tiger King question up to my co-hosts. There's only one Tiger King in my life. That's Joe Exotic. Gruntle's a shit Tiger King. He's a very... 
I don't sort Joe Exotic. He's a piece of shit. Uh, no, Gruntle's not the Tiger King we deserve because his ability to fucking use his followers effectively in battle is non-existent. I'm yes, becoming a cool spirit tiger is awesome. Everyone died because of it. Inch, what do you think? Honestly, I didn't deserve a tiger person. So wow, the went the opposite direction again. Not a part of the story that necessarily interested me. That he. Uh, yeah, no, but I guess he was fine. I mean, he was like that blows my mind. I loved all of the tiger shit, even if it was ineffective. I thought it was the coolest. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I didn't. I thought it was like, okay, <laughs> this is a thing that's happening right now. So, yeah, I mean, I don't care one way I, or another I, who the tiger person was. I agree with Inge, and I talked about it on the spoiler cast, actually. Like, definitely this time through, I enjoyed the Gruntle stuff a lot more than I did the first time. However... Like, I think a lot of the other storylines work for me together. Like, I see the thematic bleed through. I see how they're, like, cutting into each other and we're all, like, kind of telling the same story in a way. Mm -hmm. And then, like, I do think Gruntle's Mortal Sword story is somewhat just, like, over there running parallel to the same story, do you mean? Mm -hmm. And that's not to say I don't enjoy it, but I do think it's a little detached for me for, in a way. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I only read it the one time. Uh, I definitely felt very confused when it started happening. So I do, I guess, I guess probably in a reread, it would kind of feel like it's, that's because it's just sort of happening elsewhere. I don't know. Yeah. However, I watch a lot of anime, so I'm a sucker for anyone suddenly developing animal powers and the ability to just like use their bestial strength and also get cool tiger stripes. Pretty, pretty badass. I got some other question to touch on, but I feel like I want to move into talking about the book as a whole. Mm. So... Inge, when you compare Memories of Ice to the first two books in the series, what do you think separates it from those books? Oh, gosh. The Mibe. <laughs> no, I think the first two books were horrible. And I think that's just because I couldn't. I, I think there was less of a connection to the characters. And I don't know. I just I just didn't like it. This one had like a lot more like, oh, well, obviously my romance that I wanted from the beginning with Corlat and Whiskey Jack, RIP. Um, I think that it was just like a lot more talking rather than, I don't know, because I feel like in the last book, there was just like a lot of fighting and I was like, okay, I'm over this and I can't take it. And then in the first book, honestly, I, I don't even, I couldn't even tell you. I barely remember even reading that. I think that I just was so over it from the beginning that I blocked it out. But this book, I think the characters were just more <clears throat> enjoyable. You understood them a little better. It was exciting to find out more about the characters that you already knew but didn't know much about. Um, the conversation was better, I think, between the characters. Like, it was some, it was more just able to follow what they were saying and understand what was going on. And even when, like, outlandish shit happened, you're like, okay, well, this makes sense because this is just this is just the world we're in now. So um, that mixed with, like, the tender sections and the difficult sections of the Mibe and um, Silver Fox, I just think, made the book overall just a lot more enjoyable and interesting to me who doesn't necessarily enjoy war. Josh, for you, what do you think separates this book from the first two installments? I think, well, I just think that by the time you hit the third book, I think your familiarity with how he writes makes it easier to grasp what he's saying. And I think you could have that in Deadhouse Gates, but that book is so high speed for the for two thirds of it 
that it like it, it's really I don't I don't know I don't think I felt ever comfortable in what I was reading because there's just so much happening versus in this one I think it really in a lot of ways takes its time until mm. the two chapters of Capistan and then it takes its time again until the final you know book four of it and I think in that way it's a it's a, it's it's much more it's paced in a way that like really made it easier for me to enjoy what I was reading I think yeah like like in retrospect the fucking Bargast thing is just a blip right totally it's a to it's a total side story but in the but in the moment because there's been like very little action until then it feels so pitiful and important and it's crazy to think that like you get to the end and that whole tribal scene is like barely memorable. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think you're really, I think you're correct on talking about your familiarity with the prose. And I think it's part of why Memories of Ice hits so hard for a lot of readers, me included. It just be, it just be hitting different, man. <laughs> well, what I mean is, you know, it starts and you're on Genabacus and in Darugistan and like you're, I frankly had no clue what was going on and you're like getting used to the setting and his prose and all this stuff. And then book two, you're like also uprooted again, but you definitely know more about the world and it's like a different type of story. And then you come back to Genabacus. It's like, you do know how the world works. It's all these characters, you know, and mm -hmm. then plus compared to other books in the series, which are structured differently or have subversive or weird elements to it. Memories of Ice, you know, is telling... Like, there is, like, an evil empire, and, yeah. like, there's a big army that we all go fight. And, like, it's somewhat draped around a traditional narrative form, you know? Yeah. I talked about this for much longer on the spoiler cast, so check that out one day. Anyway, Inge, let me ask you this, then. We're going to have to come up with the name of the section, and I think it's actually pretty low-hanging fruit right now, considering we've only read three books. But Oh, God, not the predictions. Please, no. No, no, we'll do predictions later. But what I'm saying, if you had to sort the three, you know, if you had to rank them, what, what, what are you going with, Inge? Oh, uh, just a reverse order. Uh, Memories of Ice, Deadhouse Gates, and then uh, Gardens of the Moon. Josh? It's three, two, one, obviously. Interesting. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But, I, but isn't it true that I hear that Memories of Ice is everyone's, like, real favorite, so it's just gonna, we're just never gonna have this again? We peak early. I think it's it, it's it's definitely a popular. It's a fan favorite for sure. Um, but but it might be a fan favorite for the reasons we're having India. You know, where it's it's like the true. first like fuck. I get it. And you know, there might be ones that are just as good, but it doesn't have that. You know, it's not the same as it your just first. Hits differently. It just hit different. <laughs> yeah. Um. I think I've had the most fun rereading Gardens of the Moon. I don't think. Like, I think this is a better book than that, but mm -hmm. it was more interesting for me to reread Gardens of the Moon than it was for me to reread this book. You I know? can see that. Um, yeah. So before we do some predictions to go out on, Josh, final question. Thousand feet tall, total thoughts, memories of ice. Just like blanket thoughts on the book. Blanket, you know, this is your, you know, whatever review, you know, so... Hmm. I think books one through three of, of Memories of Ice are quite good. I think the Siege of Kapustan would be the absolute climax of most books. And it is crazy that it's not even, it's like, you know, we're only like halfway through this book when it happens. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I mean, just, you know, from the beginning to the end of book three is a whole book. You have the whole characters going on the arc to go get the Barkhast to come. You have the character, the Grey Swords preparing the city for defense. In a traditional book, the whole fucking city wouldn't be defeated and eaten by Tenescowry. But, like, you know, that's an entire fantasy book. And the fact that after all of that, there is book four of Memories of Ice, 
which I would call the greatest four chapters I've ever read in my life. The fact that <laughs> those four chapters hit at the end of what is essentially an already done book is just ludicrous. Specifically, the final chapter of this book is the best chapter of a book I have read ever. It is it, it is its own short story. It's craziness. Pretty so. high praise. Mm-hmm. I have I have gone on the record with several people and said that Memories of Ice is the best book I've ever read. Wow. I loved it. Inge, what do you think? Um, I would say Memories of Ice has something for everyone because, I mean, okay, this is not a book that I would ever be interested in. This is not a book that I would have ever picked up and said, this is something that I want to read. Sure. However, it was just really enjoyable from start to finish. Um, Like... I think because I've never, like, I just, I don't know much about books, you know? I read, like, short books every now and again that are not very um, difficult. It's more so to, like, I don't even know. Because, like, when Steve writes a book, it's kind of like a Where's Waldo. But, like, when I read other books, it's just like, oh, this is happening in this book. And it's not, like, crazy or anything. It's just, you know, something that I'm enjoying reading. Whereas when I read something that he writes, it's like, I have to use my brain now. I have to figure out what that meant and what it's going to mean in six books from now and why this happened and why is it relevant and why is this here? And I just think, you know, it's it's a bit more of a brain exercise. So um, with that said, I like that he kind of makes each one of his books sort of like a short story where you do have to focus and pay attention to everything. I think that's super, super cool. And in this book, it just worked super well because, um, you know, it's just like Josh said, pretty much it, it tells you multiple stories in one book and it's insane the whole time and you're on the edge of your seat the whole time and then it's over and you feel empty and you're just like, what's next? So mm-hmm. I think that's like the telling of like a good show or a good book. It's like, you're just like, okay, like, let's get, like, I'm actually excited to start the next book, which I literally have dreaded for the past two books. Like having to read every two weeks has been like ripping out my eyelashes. Um, But this third book was just kind of like, you know, leaving my eyelashes intact and even taking care of my skin. So mm-hmm. Yeah. If I recall, you even enjoyed the prologue of this book from the word go. I really, I don't know. And I don't know. I, it's just a great book. It just was a really, really good book. And I hate myself for saying it. Yeah, I feel you. I, 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 I think it's a good book, too. And I, I spoke longer about it elsewhere. But I basically feel kind of like how Josh said, like, I don't know if this book isn't for you. I don't know what to tell you. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I if if you if you read this and don't like it, I don't think books are for you. I think you should stop reading books. And, and like, listen, I do get it. It's like it's long. Maybe you need to read these other books. There's these other things, right? But like, I don't know. This just takes you to such a place, and it's such a journey that I don't know. It takes you there repeatedly, and you yeah. just, just, you're just like whoa, and then you're like okay, and then you're like whoa. It's just oh god, it just gets me giddy. I know. Get- it's always a good sign in my mind where I become very inarticulate at questions like this. Yeah, because I'm just like, I don't know. It, it was good. And I liked it when the words happened. You know? <laughs> so Gramophone asked to to kind of get some predictions, you know, and I, I want to hear a few House of Chains thoughts. But more importantly, we're now like three books in, you know, we got seven others. So what do we think this like, where is the series going? India Jones, tell me. I'm so I'm so, I was just going to hang on Josh's answer for this one. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, listen, Peter, that is an unfair question. If you asked me in the first book where we would be in the second book, technically I did know. Different place, different characters. But I, I, there's just, like, I don't even know where we go. So it has to be obviously about the crippled freaking God because, you know, they've really just been setting him up to be pretty fucked. And um, so I just assume that, I don't know, like, where's he going? I don't know. I don't know. But I guess he's bad. And I just, I don't, I don't know. Josh? Do you know? Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a different direction for my prediction for the series. I feel like it is too on the nose of Erickson to have introduced the central villain in this book and have the next seven books involve this central villain. I just like. I don't know. For all I fucking know, the crippled god isn't important, and the crippled god, the titular crippled god of book ten, is actually fucking someone else and not the chained mm. god. So, you know, that's my prediction. Who fucking knows? Erickson always is on eight different levels, so. Mm. So, interesting series-long ideas, but Josh, what do you think we're going to encounter going into book four as we return to Seven Cities, where Adjunct Tavor has brought her army to crush the whirlwind, brought about by Felicen? Lover. I hope. I mean, I don't even have to say hope. It's Erickson. He's going to deliver. But, like, I, I guess... What I'd want to see is a very nuanced conflict where neither side is in the right, you know? Like, I I'm excited to see, I'm hoping that we get to see this conflict from the Malazan side and from the, uh, the Whirlwind side and see, like, I don't know, I just like their clashing ideologies and I like to see that. Who's the dude that put all those people on crosses? Oh, uh, Corblo Dom? I and hope, I hope he gets, like, just fucking brutalized. Fuck that dude. No, so no much. redemption for him? No redemption he for can't that be dude. Redeemed. No, fuck that dude. I'm um, sorry. He crucified like 10,000 people. I think we're good. India, what do you think we are going to encounter in Seven Cities? Well, my friend Steve <laughs> told me that it's going to be from one perspective for how long? The beginning of the book. From knowing that alone, I feel like we're going to be fed a lot of misinformation and then... Once it switches, we're going to be like, what the fuck? And it's just going to be like a huge mind fuck that we were never expecting mm -hmm. because it's from one perspective and we're going to hear a lot of lies and then it's just going to come out and we're going to be like, oh my God, this changes everything. Interesting. Also, hey, Discord, remember, <laughs> maybe we maybe we don't non-spoiler tag who the first, who the POV character is for the next book because I saw it 80,000 times. Oh, I don't know. I still I, don't know. I well, do because I'm, I'm, I'm in literally the I'm I only go I have I have blocked myself from all the spoiler ones. And then in one of the tabs, there was a huge spoiler convo. Eventually, Peter or AJ stepped in and was like, hey, wrong channel. Well, oh my God, that's so funny. Wait, so you're so can I know since you guys know? Uh, no. Well, I don't think it's a name that means anything to Josh, so. Uh, I feel like we recommend that person in Deadhouse Gates, unless I'm crazy. Well, I don't think so, and oh. I am ending the show. Okay. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Such strong words. So, uh, with that said, everybody, uh, I'm sorry if we didn't get some of your emails or questions. We were trying to keep it a bit short. 
We have some special episodes coming out, as we said. And next time we talk, we'll all be reading House of Chains. So, yay! Whoa! We look forward to that, and we'll uh, talk to you then. Bye. Bye. Hello, everyone. Producer AJ here. Just clarifying that I am not way older than Josh. We're both 26 now. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this mailbag for Memories of Ice. Thank you to everyone that sent in questions through our email or through Discord. Uh, sorry that we couldn't get to all of them. Uh, I have my own answers for all of these questions, but one that I just wanted to highlight uh, is the favorite duo question. Uh, my choice, of course, is the duo that never was, Itkovian and Whiskey Jack. The pair literally share a single scene where they interact with each other in the beginning of book four of this novel, and it made me want to spin off novella instantly. Uh, these two veteran soldiers that know all the sorrow and pain that comes along with endless war and battles just bonding over a shared respect for each other. Uh, I have a quick quote. The two are talking after Colin Murillo, I think, uh, leave after playing a joke on Itkovian. Whiskey Jack starts. Apologies, Itkovian. No need, sir. There's welcome relief to such irreverence. In fact, it pleases me that they would display such comfort. Well, they're only like that with people they can respect, though it's often taken as the opposite, which can lead to all sorts of trouble. So I would imagine. Well, Whiskey Jack said gruffly, then surprised Itkovian by dismounting, stepping up to him and holding out his gauntleted hand. Among soldiers of the Empire, he said, where the worn gauntlet is for war, and nothing other than war, to remain gauntleted when grasping the hand of another in peace is the rarest of gestures. So it too is often misunderstood, Itkovian said. I, sir, do not miscomprehend the significance, and so am honored. He grasped the commander's hand. You accord me far too much. I do not, Itkovian. I only wish you were traveling with us so that I could come to know you better. Yet we will meet in Marek, sir. Whiskey Jack nodded. Until then, Itkovian. Uh, Whiskey Jack rides away, and the final line of this section. Itkovian watched the man ride away down the strand, his horse's hooves kicking up green clumps of sand. He had a sudden inexplicable conviction that they would never see each other again. After a moment, he shook his head to dispel the dread thought. And that's it. <laughs> Two of my favorite characters interacting, and then they never see each other again, and they both die. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's that. Uh, thank you again so much to everyone who sent us questions through our email and Discord. If you'd like to join the Discord, you can head on over to bit.ly slash VBB Discord. That's capital V, capital B, capital B, capital D. Discord, the link will be in the show notes. And as always, thank you so very much to Dan Gezrick for making our spectacular logo. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Gezrick for the hottest Philadelphia fusion takes and and of course, the wonderful music in today's episode is Floating Man by the one and only Amaranthin from their album The New Romantic, which you can find along with Simulant Rain and their other music on bandcamp.com. Links to their pages will be in the show notes, and 10 Very Big Books will be back in one week on June 5th with our Memories of Ice spoiler show with special guest YouTuber Iskar Jarek. Uh, we're extremely excited to have him on the show, so listen in next week if you want to hear that conversation. I'll talk to you then, and thank you so much for listening.